We sat in the woods, tending a campfire. Thousands of miles from home, the light crackle of wood and flame blended with the gentle burbling of a Montana mountain stream, not far from our cook site. Four people, all from the stark, flat farmlands of the Mid-South, were thousands of miles from home, enjoying a night under the western sky. Today's guest is the orchestrator of that night. He's a filmmaker, photojournalist, and a storyteller on a mission to inspire more people to get outdoors. And he's here to tell us why being outside often feels like an unreachable dream for so many. Join us as we invite you to tag along on a documentary film crew for a special project called Outside Ain't Free. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. Our guest today is a return visitor from season one. He's a photographer, a mountain climber, and a filmmaker who was last seen on the slopes of Telluride. In the past four years, he's been on an incredible journey to the top of ice waterfalls and through the burning wildfires of Montana. His name is Malik the Martian. Welcome back, bro. What's going on, Joe? I'm glad to be back. Um... It's crazy that I was on season one podcast when I was just uh, a photographer. And I don't know if we went back to that conversation, I can guarantee you. Yeah. I had like ideas and plans, but nothing what transpired was what I was planning on doing. I don't believe. (laughs) The craziest thing to me is just like seeing how far you've come. And I mean, the fact that you like really did go out and climb ice waterfalls mm-hmm. and you've been on a, a filmmaking tour and you've gone to New York and yeah. all over the country and had audiences packed out to like see your work. That's incredible, man. You should congratulate yourself, you know? Thank you. I, it, you know, it's, it's believably unbelievable at times. Um, but that's the thing about like, I, I thoroughly believe when you start chasing after your dreams, just keep running there isn't a finish line. And um, with that and just staying curious, I've been able to like, I don't know, just completely find new avenues to breathe life into my work, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a curiosity leading me to like, you know, want to be outdoors. And once I found the happiness it brought me, it's like, what can I do to, you know, stay outdoors? And um, the things that's happened over the years, I, like I said, I couldn't have planned it, but I don't know. Everything happened exactly how it's supposed to, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can talk about it a little bit. We actually both have left Memphis since then, but for a long time we were kind of down the street neighbors. Yes. Um, and, and we moved. We both moved out west. I'm in California. You're in Colorado, right? Yeah, I'm in Denver now. Um, I'm still keeping my place because, you know, it's like ain't no place like home. Um, but mm-hmm. um, over the years, you know, it's hard to be a mountain climber uh, living in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't have any mountains. Um, Tennessee with mountains is like eight hours away from Memphis. So, yes, we got a lot of great music, great food, wonderful people. But, yeah, that's the same reason I ended up in California was just like, hey, if I want to hike every weekend, if I want to surf if I want to go camping, all of that's more accessible here, even if it is more expensive to live out here. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of paying for quality of life a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's for sure. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you've got going on now. Cause I'm, I'm excited about it. It's actually a project that we worked on a little bit together, but it's really your thing and your baby. And it, 
the world is just now starting to see what you're calling outside ain't free. Yes, sir. Outside ain't free. It's uh, the documentary slash TV show that I've been working on for a couple of years. Um, you know, I know you said you didn't work on it as much as me, but I want you to know that your contribution <laughs> helped bring this piece to life. You know, uh, there are so many things that's necessary from, you know, point of view, vantage points, uh, and just needing a crew to pull it off. Like, I just think about how, how bad it went. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't have, if you didn't prep what you did before you left with the rental car and et cetera. Um, and I know people listen like, what happened? Well, well I want a truck from a camper company. Uh, and the truck, how, what was it? A day later or two days later, it, it was completely out of oil and broke down in the middle of Yellowstone. <clears throat> Yeah, I want to talk about that trip. Uh, you did win a truck. It was like a, like when you say win a truck, I think people think in their minds it's like a brand new truck. No. Like, why don't you describe the truck you won? It was a 92 F Ford F-250, a farm truck. But, I mean, as you are my witness, I was told multiple times that it was dialed in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they did replace the transmission in it. But uh, it had a pretty good engine leak in it, and the starter went out on the voy the maiden voyage home. Like we didn't even make it to Memphis. Uh, it broke down in Nebraska, and what you see in the documentary is us starting off all jovial, going to the far back country, dispersed camping, and then the truck starts breaking down, and we go to a campsite that's a little closer to the city. Then the starter goes out, and now we're in a hotel. And it's like the more and more issues we have with the truck, the further we got from nature, which was like the whole reason we did this trip. It's really unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't even think about it, but it was pulling you away. So the background is like you had this idea and I don't know how I got looped in other than maybe like I just saw you at the gym or <laughs> the neighborhood and it was like, hey, do you want to fly out to Montana with everybody? and document this journey of like pick up this big red pickup truck we're gonna drive it through montana we're gonna camp we're gonna go through yellowstone it's gonna be epic and i'm like yeah not only do i want to come document this but like sold outside can grab a camera truck or something and like we'll do it together like a joint project thing for that that piece um, so that was freaking cool. Why don't you like go back to that day and tell everybody like who was in the crew, how many people initially were there and like what were you feeling when you landed in Bozeman, Montana to pick up this truck? Um, the crew consisted of me uh, as the subject. We had Nia Thomas as my producer, my homeboy Delvron, also known as One Dot, as the cinematographer. And Joe is the writer slash backup cinematographer because, you know, I'm thinking I'm shooting a big documentary. I go get a camera I've never used before, which is the Black Magic 6K Pocket, whatever. I am against. Yeah, it was badass, though. It, it was badass, but I am against. I would have rather just got a Nikon NZ2, you know, NZ7 two or whatever, and like shot with that instead of going to get a quote unquote, you know, cinema camera because you get all the bells and whistles and uh the files are very huge the battery doesn't last long you know what i'm saying uh filmmaker woes yeah, it was kind of a bitch to carry around honestly very much for like a ruddy gun setup you know what i'm saying oh uh, but we had a very small it to be crew and when i landed in bozeman it's not my first time being there so I'm used to the stairs, but um, I was way more focused, kind of excited because I had one that truck way back in January and I didn't get to pick it up until August, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. It was like the middle of summer. Actually, I think I wanted the year before. I just had to be quiet for so long. Yeah, I won that truck in 2021. <laughs> so like, I, I was quiet for quite some time that I, I wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then you fly in, and I remember sitting on the runway, because I got there like a couple hours before you and Nia. 
and one dot was with me we had this like toyota suv and we thought bozeman like we can go to the end of the runway pretty much and we can get the like establishing shot of your plane coming in and we did like we found the plane we were right on time and the first inkling i had that anything was going to be different about this trip than any other like camping trip was like we had a camera train on the runway and this f-150 goes by boom, yelling something and a few minutes later they came back in yelling at us again and i was like what the hell is the problem here like we're not bothering anybody and i and i didn't really think why but it hit me like later on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they see one standing on the side of the road. And so, you know, the black population of Bozeman is like less than 2%. I think it's like 0.8% or something like that. It's not even a whole percentage. So um, I understand that our presence, especially in numbers, is uh, atypical to the normal civilization in the state there. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit, huh? I was like, that's kind of weird. And then I remember, like, we went to an Airbnb to get all the gear together that night. I think the next day was, like, the day where we pick the truck up and go out into the wild, right? Yep. That was the big day. Like, that was the day with the coffee shop where you also spoke about that, walking in the coffee shop and watching everybody turn around and look at us. And uh, Yeah, for true. So that morning, it must have been the crew is together. We've got our gear and our cameras and whatever. And we're not filming, really. We just walk into the coffee shop in Bozeman to get a breakfast burrito, some coffee. And it's the four of us. And when we walked in, like every person in there got quiet and like started <laughs> looking. And I was like, oh shit this is like a totally different thing that i'm used to like this is fucked up i mean it's just you get used to it because i mean like like staring is the least of my worries uh when you're in like rural areas and you know that just adds to the also the the layers of things that you have to get through or deal with if you want to be outdoors because typically you're in a rural area where you're going to be the true minority and um you know, it's either you feel welcomed or tense, but long as don't nobody put their hands on me, we good, you know? Yeah, so for me, this is like a very naive thing, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are like, duh, Joe, but I'm learning. I'm learning about white privilege and, like, experience it for the first time in some ways because in Memphis it's not really like that, you know? not we were. It's just not. We're a majority black city, so it's like you've seen a black person before. You know what I mean? There's white people there, but it's, yeah, but it's nothing to the Dakotas or anything like that. Yeah, so so that part was interesting, and it gets to the root of what I think you're trying to say when you mean outside ain't free. So, tell people what you mean, like by the name of this project. Why is outside not free? Everyone knows what they say about fish stories, but this one is true. A while back, I was mountain biking along the Arkansas River near a place called the Big Dam Bridge. In the distance, I could see the afternoon sun falling over Little Rock's lone round peak. Beside me, I saw a tranquil, rippling pool next to an old railroad bridge, secluded from the rapid river's flow. It was exactly the kind of spot that I'd biked there for. So I hopped off the bike, reached into a backpack, and pulled out a fishing rod. Then I spent the rest of the afternoon watching time slowly roll by in the warm afternoon sun. I even caught a few fish right there in that spot, with my bike laying on the ground and the shallow sand beneath my feet. This is the kind of fishing story that doesn't have a big catch or a record bass attached to it. It's just a peaceful afternoon by the water, the kind that helps you unwind from all of the problems in life. If you listen to this podcast, chances are you've got a nose for adventure yourself. And if that nose leads you to the water, I suggest picking up a tool that can help you enjoy more moments like these. When I travel, I often pack a fishing rod, 
and though many portable options abound, I like the rods from Wisconsin's St. Croix rods the best. St. Croix's Avid Trek and Triumph travel rods break down into a case that fits in a backpack, or an overhead bend, or behind just about any car seat. They're designed in the USA and made with care from a family-run company that knows some fishing stories don't require any exaggeration. Sometimes, just being on the water is enough. You can learn more about St. Croix's travel rods at stcroixrods.com, and you can tell them to get Lost Podcast sent you. Now, back to the show. Outside ain't free is because I, you know, being in the outdoor space, you always hear white people say, or just people in general who are outdoor competitors or whatever, say stuff like, outside is for everybody. Anybody can go outside. And it's like, that's just not true. Living in Memphis, uh, there are city parks, but they're in, there's a state park in the city, but it's nothing to the it's nothing to the magnitude of people who have national state parks within like an hour or two driving uh, people who live in ski towns or ski town adjacent where you can just hop on a highway and go up for an hour and then you're at a ski town. Um, and just to get there is, is like the first, I, I speak on traveling because that's the first barrier is getting there. Uh, you have to have the appropriate vehicle, appropriate tires, appropriate dig outs, just, you know, cause I like to first camping, which means you're going in a place with no infrastructure. So you have to have a reinforced vehicle, shocks lifted. You know what I'm saying? Um, once you get there, do you have, how are we sleeping? Do you have a rooftop tent? Do you have a regular tent? Do you have a sleeping mat? Do you have a cot? Do you have a sleeping bag? You know, do you have cat booty? Do you have a Coleman stove? Do you have a gas stove? Or what are you doing for power? And what are you wearing? You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many layers to it that like I've just started getting into snowboarding and that is literally impossible for someone just to do. I, I went to Vail and a full day of classes was $1,400. $1,400 for a day class of training, you know, lessons. $1,400. $1,400 for one day. And that's not including rental and all that? And that's not your lift ticket. That's not your your rental gear. Is is you know what I mean? Like it's that's crazy. And lift tickets a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, lift tickets are shoot, I've seen three hundred dollars this season. Um I've been places for like one fifty, two hundred, but I've seen upwards to three hundred. And that's for one day. Um so when I say outside and free, I wanna speak to that these are barriers. Finance financing or financial stipulations can be a barrier. And I want to speak to how if people were to able to have these types of experiences, um, what kind of outlooks could be changed? What kind of impacts could be made if it weren't these barriers? Or how would you flourish in these type of situations if I like grew up snowboarding? I just watched a seven-year-old drop in on a kuwar up in Jackson Hole. That's crazy, but it's like that's their backyard. So mm-hmm. it's almost like a rite of passage dropping into this Kuwar and Jackson. So it's like if everybody had the, or not even everybody, but if more people had these chances, you know, and it gets still, you have these barriers of finances. And then once you add in urban sprawl or racism, there's specifically like black people are kept out of enjoying this whatsoever because we don't feel safe. The average black person, if you want them to go camping, the first thing they're going to go to is safety. It's not, they're not thinking about gear or anything because you can't even get past the thought that just going into the woods is a threat to my life and my livelihood. Just that off top. When historically we was really in tune with nature and the, you know, the woods and navigation, um, you know, so yeah, I, talk some more about that. So I'm I'm interested to know what you learn about like the historical connection that black people and black Americans have with the outdoors. I mean, the thing is like we use the term indigenous and people think it's like the natives, but like black people are indigenous also to the point that like slaves and sharecroppers, it's in the name, sharecropping. You know what I'm saying? You think people just tend to hundreds of thousands of acres and have no knowledge of how to grow food, uh, where the best resources are, how to get there, how to travel. Like if you had a runaway, we had runaway slaves who went north. Harriet Tubman navigated through swamps, forests, 
etc. There's not cities, there's not roads, there's no interstates. And multiple times you have people going back and forth, back and forth, to the point that they've mm-hmm. created a whole congruent system of navigation. And like that's through being a native of the land. You just don't do that, like arriving on some foreign land, and you know what I mean. Like, let's <laughs> just, just roll up. Like, I couldn't, I could not do that. Yeah, I mean, I just, could not get from Tennessee to like Pennsylvania without like infrastructure. Yeah, and I mean, just even further than that, just think about being in a national park with a set hiking trail at night. Just think about you're on a trail at night. That's terrifying. So just imagine navigating through a swamp at night, no trail. A forest at night, no trail, no map, no GPS, no satellite, no nothing. But we have a North Star. So because of those things, yes, we are indigenous. And, you know, nature is healing. And I want as many people to be able to feel the same way that I do when I have a chance to have no cell signal, um, to listen to the water from the stream running, to listen to the silence of snowfall, you know, even though snowfall, it has a sound, but it's extremely peaceful. And um, I think it does have a little sound, but it's a sound that you wouldn't know unless you were in a woods and it was so quiet, you know? Yeah. And, you know, um, more green spaces naturally make people feel good. And in a city, you know, they strategically plan just to have a place of grass and it makes people feel good. So just imagine if you were able to go somewhere where everything is green, not just a package, you know? Yeah, for sure. So paint the scene for people. I want to take them on a trip, at least the part of Outside Ain't Free that I was there for. Um, so paint the scene as you pick up the truck and you've got a plan to go camp in Montana on the way back to Memphis. How do you even know where to go camping? Um, the only reason why I know where to go camping is because of some, yeah, I have some experience in the background of this first camping. So I'm familiar with I overland. Uh, I'm familiar with looking up BLM land and this, you know, like looking at satellite images of, Oh, this place looks cool. And, how you would now, you know, download the off offline map so you know how to get there once you don't have no cell service. Uh, and I just tried to link. I tried to link some national parks, but everything in between, we were just really playing and having fun by ear. Like our first night, the one that you were with after we picked up the truck, we just drove. You know, we had a general area, but because of forest fires, we couldn't even go to the original campsite that we picked. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we, I remember picking up the truck, which took a while, so we didn't get on the road until maybe midday, and then I remember, like, you couldn't really see the mountains around Bozeman. There was smoke from forest fires, and we drove for hours. I mean, it was, like, summer, so you had the sunlight forever, and we finally, like, snaked our way south through montana and we found a forest road near a river and you go over a bridge and then on that road i think it was a dirt road um there yep, were like these road. dispersed campsites in the pine trees and stuff yeah get a bit of bear country. uh yeah talk to us about bear country how does it feel to camp in bear country <laughs> Camping in Bear Country, you know, it's a little different. You have to, if you just hear it off top, it sounds horrifying. But uh, to with anything else in nature, there's a method to being safe. You know, mainly food storage. You have to prep really well about cooking outside of camp and uh, either putting food in a in a, a nice sturdy cooler or up high. But um, it's something to experience with your friends, especially the ones who've never been camping. Like one never being camping in his first night camping yeah. in bear country. That's funny. That's hilarious. It, it was funny. And I remember we made dinner that night, like a very long way away from where we actually set up tents. So yeah. your truck had the pop-up camper on the back and you had like a fortress, but the rest of us were just in tents, <laughs> yes. like on the ground. <laughs> And I remember that we made like tacos or something, but it was a long way away. We actually drove to where we were going to camp camp and one had not seen mountains before. Like I remember being in the camera truck and he was like just tripping out 
I'm like pointing at things. I'm like, look at that mountain. Look at that mountain. And he's like, where? <laughs> like, bro, right there in front of you. He's like, oh my God, I thought that was a cloud. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, just regionally, being regionally locked or, um, you know, never going out west. Because we're taught like all the beautiful places are outside of the country. And one of the things that I've shifted in my mindset as I've gotten older is I look at every state as a different country. Uh, because if we were in Europe and you went from east to west, you would have went through 10 countries just because we're one nation. Think about it. You can go from sunny, warm Florida to frozen Washington in a plane ride. Like anywhere else, that would have yeah. been a multi. You can change climates. That's like, you know, to an extent, a different country. They have different rules, different regulations in state to state. So uh, once I started understanding that the vast beauty is stuff that, you know, it's not a tourist attraction. Well, some of them are, but like, you know, going to uh, the Badlands and the Dakotas, you know what I mean? Seeing these naturally formed formations are just as beautiful as Bali or Barbados in a different way. Yeah, and they look unreal. Um, and the original sold outside is the name of my company. It started because I was on a cross country road trip. And I remember like the wonder of seeing the Badlands, the wonder of seeing Devil's Tower of Jackson Hole. And it's easy when you travel a lot now, like we do to kind of let that, that wonder go, but it should always be there somewhere in my mind like even if it's just a little bit you know you should pause and take it in oh yeah most people do what they do see it because i mean like mountains are powerful i don't know what it is but you can you know just see the magnetism and feel you know it can feel they're like you know that towering over you from thousands of you know sometimes hundreds of miles away and they're still visible and let alone get up on you know again up against one um yeah, for sure. And we saw some of the power of nature on this trip for Outside Ain't Free. Um, so the next night, we pack up from the bear country thing. One made it. It was cool. <laughs> He's fine. And I remember it was a really funny moment where we drive through like West Yellowstone at the McDonald's and we had on some Project Pad. <laughs> and I was like, fuck yeah. Like, we're probably the first people to listen to Project Pad in West Yellowstone. <laughs> Most likely, I don't know. <laughs> I doubt Project Maybe, but but do you remember like going into Yellowstone and going to Lamar Valley where all the bison are and getting out? Can you just describe like that whole sequence of events? Yeah, uh, that was my second time being in Yellowstone. Uh, I was able to go a couple years before in 2020, and I don't know being able to see herds of natural animals going about their day is very, I don't know, it's very powerful. I mean, the animals are powerful within themselves. Like I used to think if you ate grass, you were safe, but bison aren't safe. They will gore you or trample you. <laughs> uh, I, I was too fixated on trying to get the shot. I think uh, the bison scared the hell out of one because uh, they were like stampeding across the street, which is really cool to see. Um, this was all the natural formations, people fly fishing, the geysers, and I don't even know if you can drive through West Yellowstone since that flood anymore. I'm not sure. Actually, the flood happened a little bit after we were there. But, yeah, I can remember, like, me and one would get out of the truck, camera truck, and we would go up on a ridge or something to film you and the big red truck come through to make the show. And, yeah, we were out there, like, with the bison. I mean, they weren't super close, at that moment but then later on they were like stampeding across the road and i remember he got like, fully freaked out i, mean, I is, think he missed the shot because he was like running from one it's, it ain't missed it was more like he was like oh shit and like <laughs> and they were stampeding you know but i'm always like the person who's like i'll die for this shot Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and all this is like good times because at this moment the truck is fine, like everything's groovy. We're basically just kids out camping and documenting it, which was really fun. Like, we went on a couple little bitty hikes and things. I think we tried to go swimming, that didn't work. But <laughs> later on that day down the road, 
the truck broke down. Yeah. I was hearing a rattling noise and, uh, I've had a lot of raggedy cars. So I know this noise, it sounded like no oil in it. And I was just like, they can't be, I just got this. So I was driving a little while longer. And I mean, like it's the, you know, the bone dry oil. If you ever had a car with no oil, you know what I'm talking about? That ticking. And, um, Neo was like, do you need to downshift or upshift? I was like, no, nah, because it was a manual truck. I was like, no, I'm in, you know, fifth gear. And so I pulled over and it was bone dry, like bone, bone dry oil, like no, no oil, oil. <laughs> no oil whatsoever. And uh, just so happened where we broke down, you know, uh, well, we called it lately. It was, we called it early enough before it was any cataclysmic problem, but we had to drive 40 minutes uh, in the opposite direction to get oil just to put it because we're in the middle of a national park, no service. Yeah, we were in the middle of the park on the side of the road, and somehow we were in the exact spot where, like, a park ranger just walked out of the woods. Yep. <laughs> and he knew where to get oil. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the park rangers. The only, only people with badges that I get happy when I see. <laughs> I swear, in that moment, I was like, wow, my taxes actually did something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, park rangers actually try to help people. Um, but, yeah, that was the first inkling, and we carried on. Uh, by the time the truck started getting, um, really broke down, you weren't even with us anymore. No, because I think I left, we spent one more night in the wilderness up on Shadow Mountain across from the Grand Tetons. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool night. Yeah. Because we had the thunderstorm in the truck and we had to make bunks in the truck, basically. Yeah, that was a crazy night, man, because we, we got up there really late, and I remember we cooked, uh, we set up camp, we were kind of scrambling, it was like late afternoon already to set up camp, and we had two, no, we had three tents plus yours, so we had four, and we flew the drone around, we got some shots, and then this storm started rolling, and it was like, really big thunderstorm coming across the mountains and it was also dousing these wildfires in the distance Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time so there was like smoke and mist and thunder and we all like hid in the back of Big Red because it was like really windy too like we had to or we were just going to be super uncomfortable and super wet yeah, I mean, the way that storm came out, it was pretty serious, actually. And uh, we barely got it, enough stuff, everything put up before it hit. We we lost the table. The table blew away. We couldn't find it. Um, I lost a gold tooth that night. It flew away. All right, <laughs> <laughs> the table was nice. I don't know about the tooth. I lose that. <laughs> I had sat it on the table. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but so somebody up on Shadow Mountain might find a little, there's a, a little gold there's, tooth. There's a black bear with a gold tooth right now. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we all had to uh, take shelter in the truck, which was cool, just showing um, the way that you can augment it to fit multiple people. That was, you know, I was happy I had the tent and stuff at that moment. Yeah, it was clutch. And then I remember that night, it kept raining, but we all went back to our tents during a lull and then in the middle of the night this was probably the closest bear encounter i've ever had <laughs> um i woke up and there was a bear like nudging the side of my tent right where my face was <laughs> and i didn't really know it was a bear in the moment i'm just like there's an animal i don't know what to do i'm just gonna sit here be cool and in the morning when i woke up there was a bear paw print like in the mud under the rain fly mm-hmm. there was bear prints all around y'all tents and the truck yeah but the rain sketch the ranger that let us know it was a hungry bear but they he ain't gonna do that and you know that's the biggest thing like i just tell people don't sleep with anything in your tent you'll be fine i mean not even a starburst you should be fine <laughs> Before we get back to the show, I want to talk to you guys for a quick second about my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee. You guys know that Memphis is a place surrounded by soul. It's where the blues became rock and roll. 
It's where soul music found its groove and hip-hop turned trap beats into sounds that still top the charts today. I love spending time in Memphis, walking its streets, and feeling the energy from decades of recordings rising up from the sidewalk. It's a real thing. When I'm looking for a place to pick up artwork, gifts, or flavors that remind me of home, they always swing by, feeling Memphis. It's right there, downtown on South Main Street. Feelin' Memphis is run by my good friend, Tawanda Pirtle, who grew up with me way back when I was just a college dropout designing t-shirts for her chicken joint, Jack Pirtle's Chicken. Tawanda has always been there for me, as my career morphed into the world of travel writing and podcasting, and you can usually find her there for you, behind the counter at Feelin' Memphis. So next time you're strolling through downtown, look for the big blue trolley in the window. Tell Tawanda I said hello. While you're in there, scope out some funky, hand-curated gift items to share the energy of Memphis with someone you love. That's Feelin' Memphis at 509 South Main Street. Tell them the Get Lost podcast sent you. Now, back to the show. I'm, I'm paranoid of bears, man. I also just saw Cocaine Bear like this weekend, <laughs> and now I'm double paranoid of bears. I mean, brown bears suck pretty bad, so be scared of those. But black bears, thanks, man. So after this, we go down the mountain and luckily like Shadow Mountains right by the Jackson Hole Airport and I had to jet. I had to go to Puerto Rico or somewhere for work. Um, so I, I left. Mm-hmm. I was done, but y'all kept the camera truck. Yeah. And then what happens? Uh, we keep on pushing. We're able to make it to uh, Crazy Horse Memorial and the Badlands. You know, um, we spent the night at Crazy Horse, not at the official campgrounds, uh, somewhere around there. It was cool. They had showers. That's when we started like getting closer and closer to society. Um, and then we pushed, we pushed through the Badlands the next day. And as we got through the Dakotas and made it into Iowa, that's when the truck started messing up. It wouldn't crank. Like we stopped to get gas and it wouldn't crank. Uh, someone gave us like a, a, a booster a boost off and um, it crunk up from the boost. And we was like, okay, it's the battery. So when we made it to like Nebraska, the truck broke down again. And when we was getting food and somehow I got it crunk and we made it to Walmart and we bought a new battery. No, Walmart didn't have the battery. So we parked the truck at Walmart, drove like 30 minutes to go get a battery, put a battery in and the truck don't crank. And I don't know, I was just on YouTube and I found um, if the, new battery tap on the starter and uh that'll let you know so i tap on the starter and it cranks and um i was like okay it's a starter and everything on youtube said that replacing the starter was not that hard so we got a hotel at night and um the next morning i had i had ordered a part from riley's o'reilly's to go pick up a new starter um and that's where the, the where the um, trip really took a turn. We was able to get the truck started, get to O'Reilly's. To be honest, in hindsight, I probably should have just um, tapped on the starter all the way home. But um, that would have been like, I, I have very bad anxiety. I would have been too anxious about that. But uh, mm-hmm. O'Reilly's basically didn't want to help us. I feel like because we was black, you know what I'm saying? Like I ordered the part. When I got up there, they tried to act like there was no part that I ordered. Um, they didn't want to uh, let me use their loaner tools. Uh, they lied about saying they didn't have specific, um, you know, tools and stock that I needed, like power tools for the job. It was just very uh, uncomfortable dealing with those people. And then they had like the to- the truck towed by the city the next day when we left. So wait, so. So I don't want to give away the ultimate fate of the truck because I do want people to actually watch the video. Yes. Um, but I I want to ask you about this instance because this is like the also like I'm off on an island somewhere doing my writing job and I get an update in the group text and I'm like, whoa, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> for me to replace a starter and I've done this, I've had old cars, I've gone to an O'Reilly, I got a starter, it was no problem, mm-hmm. no problem at all. So I was pretty pissed off that this is happening, but how did it make you feel to go there and this is a simple transaction and these people just 
dragging their feet don't want to help you uh it was it was disparaging and it caught me off guard just in the sense that like you know i'm trying to be professional like order stuff ahead of time and you know check in over the phone and i guess i don't know if they knew from my inflection who i was but it was like you know how i sounded and when i show up was two different things and um it was just it was just like adding stress to an already stressful situation you know it's just ignorance um one of the workers named dallas he was uh he was uh courageous enough to help me until he couldn't you know what i mean he did all he could to get it um you know get the new starter plugged up but you know we ha eventually had to leave it um and it got told by the omaha police department and um it took him it took like an extra month but i finally got it back and got her back home but um it was a whole fiasco and i didn't even have the movie in so like you know it's a twist i ain't gonna reveal it but um yeah yeah exactly so now that was that was a while back I mean, it took a while to film this. It took a while to edit it. It also, honestly, like, it was just a rough year last year. Um, our city is hurting. Our city has a violent crime wave that's affecting people. And it is, I don't think it's the reason that either of us left, but it is a contributing factor, at least in my opinion. I'm, like, not building my future there. It has a huge. Um, it has a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask you more about the film, but since we're on the topic, what are your thoughts right now on Memphis? I mean, we've got some serious issues at home. I mean, Memphis has issues, but it all goes back to just reallocating funds to the appropriate places. And when I say appropriate places, I mean we have to pour funds into these children. We have to stabilize and provide you have to stabilize and provide like basic necessities shelter and food um mm -hmm. and then we can worry about the you know the education but we we have basically twice the amount of homelessness amongst our youth and twice a month uh, twice the national average and like starvation amongst our youth so we have homeless hungry teens running around you know what i'm saying and um that's not fair to the kids because really they you know they feel if you was to actually walk, you know, walk in their shoes, they don't have any other choice. There's not that many other options out there for them to, um, you know, just it sounds easy, but I'm telling you, like, shit ain't that easy. So, yeah. No, it's not easy. And you're alluding to like this crime wave is a lot of kids. It's 15 year olds. It's 11 year olds. Mm -hmm. It's young people, really young people that are. In, in trouble for murder for robbery for all kinds of stuff so anyway going back to the film you finally are releasing the teasers mm -hmm. the pilot for outside ain't free where's your head at now uh my head is i'm focused you know i i've been in the industry long enough now that i have my own experiences and a lot of different interactions I understand the power of my voice. Uh, I understand that I create the waves and I don't ride them. I understand that the thing that I'm building cannot be replicated because nobody is me. Uh, the industry is not black. You know what I mean? It can't give a black perspective. And I'm not creating something that's palatable to be absorbed by a specific demographic. I'm just speaking my truth. And I'm just ready to do that and say that because it's like I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid anymore. And um it needs to be heard, you know. I'm not doing anything about this is not malicious, you know what I mean? Uh I just want to tell my story above all because I've been in quite a few media, you know, all type of media of my and it's like I don't ever feel that my story or true point of view is ever is ever given the appropriate depth that it deserves you know um it's why just, do you think that is uh simply because like the way through media that people view black people is only the only way we're humanized is through pain and suffering so they're interested to know that it happens they just don't care why or how it impacts you you know it can be a movie where i can be like yeah all my uh everybody that i'm closest to has been murdered and it's like 
next scene, you know what I mean? Like they, they could care less. Uh, so I want to speak to how things impact me and my feelings more through my own art that I control. You know what I mean? Like I wrote poems that's, uh, in movies and they're edited. Like you take out my words and rearrange them in a way that you feel is appropriate when I wrote it to be said how it was written. You know what I'm saying? And, um, that's where I'm at because yeah. So, so they're editing your voice and in your opinion, they're using like the events in your life to play on the same trope that's been played out for decades. Uh, not even that. It's just, um, they just use like traumatic events in my life is like fucking, uh, just a point. It's just, you know, like an introductory point. Hi, this is me. These terrible things that happen. Next thing, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not, you know, you you yeah. you can't cram my life in a 12 minute story. And climbing isn't the greatest thing I've ever done. You know what I mean? Like it's it climbing is pointless. You know what I'm saying? We ain't gonna get into that. But like, you know, they asked me how I got to top of mountains. It's like because the things that I went through in my personal life, this mountain cannot compare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it like climbing culture to me? And I'm not a climber. I mean, I may know a few climbers, but I'm not one and I will never claim to be one. Yeah. (laughs) But what do you think climbing culture revolves around right now? Mm, I can't quite say what the culture revolves around because, I mean, everybody coming to climbing for a different reason. You know, uh, you have your you have the competitors, you have the backwoods people, you have the soloists, you have the uh, people who just want to go to a gym every now and then. You have the dude bros who know everything, spray beta. And the culture is whatever they want it to be. Like, I don't really interact with climate culture. I've been able to impact it because I'm coming from a counterculture. And I just do my thing within the regular climate culture. You know, the things that they praise uh the things that they clap for it it don't move me you know what i mean like it's not we don't have the same perspective on a lot of things uh so i can't speak on the actual climbing culture but i don't know it's growing and adapting i can say that climate culture is shifting and adapting i want to talk to you a little bit about that and it's not quite climbing but i saw on your instagram and y'all should follow him malik the martian on instagram but I saw you were on a, in a mountain town, and forgive me because I don't remember which one, um, but it was like thousands of black skiers and s- snowboarders and stuff. What was that scene? Yeah, it was a, a solo nice. It was like the 50th annual black skiers convention, and it was held in Vail. Um, Vail oh, so Colorado. that's where you were doing the snowboarding? Yes. Yeah, one of the places. There in Winter Park. Um, but Vail is, Vail is absolutely beautiful. And like, I found myself in tears during the parade, because if you ever been to a mountain town, you know that there's not a lot of black people. So to see like thousands upon thousands of black people at one place at one time, um, trying to pass the torch to keep the younger generation invigorated and interested in snow sports is just a beautiful sight to see. And it just really, um, reinforced me doing what I'm doing in the outdoors and understanding my position and my, uh, the things that I've been able to do is atypical, not to downplay them or make them smaller, to understand the massive impact that it has had and will continue to have. And, um, it was just beautiful to see. And I'm going to be there next year and I'm going to, I'm actually going to shred. I'm, I'm not Bambi on snowboard no more. So. Oh man, you do all the things. I'm proud of you. You like the guy that does shit, and I'm like, I should learn to do that. Um, <laughs> last question I have before we wrap up here: What's the feedback you've gotten so far on Outside Ain't Free? The feedback that I've gotten on Outside Ain't Free is nothing but pure stoke and excitement. Really, um, the trailer I put out is pretty much at almost at forty thousand views. It's been shared hundreds of times. All the feedback is just, you know, people are happy for me that I'm finally getting it out. 
and they want to see what happened. You know, it's no pressure because the story that I'm going to tell, it actually happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's different if I was mm-hmm. making a fictional film and I felt like I had to live up to some kind of hype. But the hype is just my existence. The work has been done and it's just sequencing it together in a way that's going to impact, you know, or sit with people the most. But uh, everybody's excited. I'm excited. I'm happy that it's finally happened, happening and um, I'm ready for the world to see it. That's Malik the Martian, everybody. Dude, I cannot thank you enough for letting me be a part of the project. Um, I'm proud of it. I saw a lot of beautiful shots that I didn't have a part of, and I'm proud of those, too. So I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, most definitely. And I'm glad that, you know what I mean, you was there to see it unfold. I'm glad to be back on Sold Outside Podcast. You know what I'm saying? It's been a long journey, but we still got a long way to go. And um, it's just fun, and I'm just living it, you know, living it up along the way. Yeah, man, we'll keep up with you and we'll get you back on the show in another couple years and see where the hell you are then. (laughs) Most definitely. Uh, But I thank you and I appreciate all the listeners and be on the lookout. Outside ain't free. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow us on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast for updates on new shows and announcements.